Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Pacific War Channel. We cover the history of the Asia-Pacific War from 1937 all the way up to 1945. And I'm realizing that given the nature of this episode, I probably shouldn't have said that statement. Because this is going to be a... Uh, it might just be for the patrons. So if you're seeing this right now as a patron user, thank you so much for joining. And you'll see some more goofy stuff like this now and then. But uh, you know what? If the patrons really like this episode, maybe I'll put it uh, on the regular channel. Some of you probably recognize the guy beside me. Mr. Justin. That's me. Good to be back, guys. It's been a while. Uh, been very busy in real life, and unfortunately, now that Craig moved to the other side of the freaking planet, uh, it's a little bit harder to get out here and do episodes with him, but... Don't uh, ask me. <laughs> I'm not famous yet, but there's a few comments now and then. I know some people will put stuff in my mailbox. Yeah, well, if uh, if anybody wants this address, I'm selling it for 20 bucks. But That well... <laughs> But uh, not good to be back. We're just going to have a chat today and see how we're doing, catch up a little bit. But uh, if people ever wanted to see something completely unscripted, this is going to be it. I'm literally using my phone. And I just came up with um, a list of questions that I thought were broad enough for what I'm, I guess I'm going to call this episode. What does the average Joe know about the Asia Pacific War? Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know I now have a Patreon account found at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War channel. Over there you can find exclusive Patreon episodes and podcasts based on suggestions from patrons, and other benefits like early access to all of my content, live hangouts, your name in the end credits, and much, much more. So please go check it out. Because you know, you think about it, most of uh, anyone who's watching my content or any history content on YouTube you're interested in history. You're not the general public. You know, we don't really think about it, but it, it's more niche than you'd like to believe. Not a lot of people are interested in history. Just by demographics alone, uh, it's very male-dominated. dominated. Uh, dominated. It's, uh, very few women who go into the field of history in that matter. So I was, you know, wondering, if I asked anybody on the street, what would they tell me about the Asia-Pacific War? So I really went out of my way with these questions to make them as broad as possible because I don't know how this is going to go. And uh, Justin's going to be our guinea pig, because I can attest, he is, uh, I would say, not a history lover. Nope. Uh, well, as you guys know from our previous episodes, I'm not a history specialist in any means. Uh, if there's an event or something that interests me, I can research it, I can look into it, I can learn about it. But in general, history's just been not one of my favorite things. That's why I always come here to offer a different viewpoint to some of the videos that Craig does. Um, whether it be economical, whether it be just from some Joe Schmo that doesn't know anything. And in order to take me right back to my horrid high school history days, Craig has prepared a questionnaire to see if I did my homework on all the episodes we've ever done together. And he's quickly going to find out that, like in high school, I did not. But hopefully I can answer some of these or have some idea what I'm talking about. And if I don't, well, I have beer, so I don't care. And, you know, we're recording, you know, this is for patrons. We're going to shoot this shit, too. I mean, you can see us drinking here, and we are not endorsed by the microbreweries in front of us. Yeah, which are aptly named The Devil's Asshole, which is uh, there you interesting. Go. Certainly not a sponsor of this episode. Nope. All right, and uh, first question. Hey, everyone, I just wanted to let you know I now have a Patreon account found at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War channel. Over there, you can find exclusive Patreon episodes and podcasts based on suggestions from patrons, and other benefits like early access to all of my content, live hangouts, your name in the end credits, and much, much more. So please go check it out. 
pretty uh, funny one given how I introduced the episode as I'm a moron. First question is, when do you think the Asia-Pacific War began? And I am going to note, there is multiple answers to this question. Yeah, well, as was discussed in one of our episodes, it's a highly debated topic as to when this stuff started. Mm -hmm. Because depending on your opinions, your views, possibly your um, ethnic background, depending on how you were taught, whether you're of Asian descent, American, whatever it may be, um, it could it could arguably have started anywhere going all the way back to the Opium Wars, following all the way through to the Sino-Japanese Wars, or up until Pearl Harbor. It kind of depends on your opinion. It's actually really interesting that you went as far as the Opium Wars, because that's something that I think I uniquely argue. A lot of people would never even consider pretty much anything for the 19th century, for that matter. Mm. But... You know, um, the same question has been asked of many historians about just World War II in general. When did, what, you know, caused World War II? And people will be surprised to find out, a lot of people would argue, Napoleon. His Napoleon. wars. Because he had changed, basically, how warfare was done. Before Napoleon's time, war was done, I would say, on a professional level, with armies that were trained and such. No one did what we do in the modern world, where you just take common citizens, give them a gun. Not much training and throw them out there. Napoleon was kind of the guy who got the cannon fodder out idea out there. So he changed the scale of warfare. But back to the question. Yeah, it's like you said. It's like how far do you want to go? Uh, what nationality are you? Because if you are from mainland China, most people from mainland China would say 1931. At, at minimum, because um, they'd even titled the war the 15-year war. It's commonly yeah. said there. For them, it definitely did start in 31. For the Japanese as well, it started in 31 because that was their unofficial invasion of China. But yeah. if you asked Americans, like you said, it's always going to be Pearl Harbor. And that's why I'm using the term Asia Pacific, because if you say, hey, uh, when did the Pacific War start? A lot of people would consider the Pacific War 41, because they only consider hmm. when America came into it and what happened in, quote, the Pacific, based off the term. That's why for a long time, defining the Pacific War was difficult for people. Some people used to say World War II, the Pacific Theater, or the Asia Pacific Theater. Uh, the war in China, if you were thinking about it as the uh, Second Sino-Japanese War, an example. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting question because it really brings about what when do you consider this to be a war? Yeah. yeah, that's another thing. Now, sometime around there, because I remember, because I listened on occasion, uh, sometime before Pearl Harbor, I know Japan had signed some agreements with Germany. Uh, back when Germany was occupying France, it was, okay, now i got to remember what the heck it was called. Not the trifecta, there, there's a word. Tripartite? Yeah, that's it. Okay. When was it that Japan signed those agreements with Germany? So they were... Because just... that's basically, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but that, that's maybe not necessarily when war was declared, but that's basically kind of when the teams were picked, you know? Hockey, uh, whatever sport you're playing in elementary yeah. school, I pick him, you pick him. That's kind of when you could say Japan was officially aligned with Germany and the Axis. Well, it's interesting you say that because unofficially they were already aligned. So they were trading military arms and such. But uh, Italy and Germany had made the Pact of Steel as it's commonly... It's still commonly called the Pact of Steel mm -hmm. uh, beforehand. But Japan joined in late 1940. And it late was 40, okay. kind of a late thing. Japan, you know, uh, they joined as a means to try and... Reserve a place in the world because they were being embargoed to hell, basically. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, question number two, which is pretty broad. Why was there an Asia-Pacific War? 
many answers to this. <laughs> and it's not because Japan lost to the U.S. in the Olympics or something the year before, I'm guessing. <laughs> I guess you, you... That would be an interesting answer, yeah. Um, why was there a war? I mean, obviously from the history of the episodes we've done, Japan was fighting for some control of Asia, trying to take a bit of the spotlight from Big Brother China. How that affected Europe, Asia, and how that got them allied with Germany, I don't really remember. It's a good question. <laughs> no, Hang on, I'm trying to go through the track record here, so... I guarantee you, if you were to ask anybody on the street, like, you know, you see those videos on YouTube when they just, like, approach Gen Zs on the street and ask them some question about, like, where's this? And you ask, like, a geographical question. Most of them don't know. A hundred people you ask on the street the same question I asked, they probably wouldn't know. I mean, I'm assuming it had to be financially backed. All so, wars, of course. Like all wars are. So I'm going to assume... Japan was a little bit low on supplies or funding based on the Sino, the Sino War or the Opium Wars or whatever it may be, whatever whichever conflicts they were having in China. So I'm going to guess that kind of forced them to ally with Germany to try and trade munitions and get a pipeline of money going in or resources to control. You know, again, we talked about the importance of Chinese uh, train routes and stuff like that, railroads. So I'm going to guess it was a money grab in order to control trade routes and things like that to fund their conflict with the Chinese. Yeah, kind of. Basically, you add it in a nutshell. It, the, the whole thing revolves around China. They got themselves stuck in China in a war that took an unbelievable amount of resources from them that a lot of their leadership never, never had the foresight of uh, knowing what a full-scale war would look like with china they didn't think it was going to be a war of attrition they thought they were going to do a one knockout blow knock out china we're all done so they planned for it as such turned out china moved its government and everything a few times so that didn't work mm -hmm. and they were quickly stuck in china and as you said from a financial point of view they were a nation that never had resources to begin with uh they were relying almost uh, more than 70 percent of the united states for oil or iron for that matter they didn't have iron they didn't have oil they didn't have rubber which is very important for war materials and they had nowhere to get it and as they had started this war with china the international community did not like that especially the united states so the united states got together with great britain and the netherlands and they embargoed them from oil iron rubber anything for war materials so japan was stuck in china they were running out of all the supplies necessary and uh, they just extended and escalated their war upon the others because there was an unfortunate victim that was close by. It was the Dutch East Indies. And they happened to have resources that they could take. But in order to take them, they would have to go to war with the United States and Britain. And that's basically how everything escalated into the greater sphere of the Pacific War. But initially, it was just a war with China. They had always sought Manchuria. They got a little bold when they took Manchuria. And they wanted to exert control over all of China. It's not like they would ever... Be, they would never take China and call it something else. They just basically want to destroy China's government, and then they would have a public yeah. government, like yeah. usual. They did that in most of Southeast Asia, too. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Manchuria would have been their main foothold, and obviously they could have controlled so much from that standpoint, because otherwise they're, they're not a landlocked country. They can't yeah. really do much. 
But um, interesting you say that, that it was a war of attrition, because I did watch a video last week. I wish I could remember who it was by, another YouTube historian. But he was talking about how one of Japan's main strategies throughout the Pacific War was trying to not necessarily starve the U.S. out of resources, but basically make the war so expensive and unfeasible that the U.S. was just saying, yeah, screw this, not worth it. You know, the price tag's too high, yep. which is a big reason of trying to control the Pacific and all the islands ranging anywhere from the Dutch East Indies to, uh, what's it called? Not Singapore. Um, heck of the Philippines, all that stuff, to basically control U.S. supplies and ships coming through so that they would bleed out. Yeah. It seemed to be kind of one of their main strategies throughout the Pacific War. Yeah, their entire strategy was bent on, uh, well, there was an acknowledgement that you are talking about uh, a a nation that has something like 500 times the production value as yours. You can't actually win a, they're not going to invade the United States, they're not going to win a war against the United States. Yeah, exactly. So they wanted to knock out as much as they could, try and keep the United States Navy out of the war for as long as possible so they can consolidate all of these islands with the resources and put as much defenses into them because from a mod- from well, uh, modern from a World War II point of view, the United States is in a position where if you want to get from Y to Z, from the United States to Japan, you're going to have to go through these island chains because these islands are full of aircraft. They're going to attack your fleet. So yeah. it was just hunkering down. How many lives would it take for the Americans to come to the negotiation table? Because... Perhaps, you know, from a Japanese point of view, you take over these vast swaths of land, but you know you'll never be allowed to keep them. So you use them as bargaining chips on the table when you're doing your negotiations. You'll come into it getting 100%. By the end of it, maybe you retain 25% of what you took. But that's still a victory in the end in their mindset. As long as it doesn't cost you too much troops and resources. Exactly. So you're telling me if Japan tried... D-Day style to just land in California and go ham. It wouldn't have worked. There's a, a very famous book uh, and became a very famous TV show called Man in the High Castle. And it's an alternate history where the United States is basically... They're attacked by Nazi Germany and Japan. So the, the Axis win the war. Japan takes the, uh, the west side and the Germans take the east side. And even the author couldn't go into great detail into how the hell the Japanese possibly attacked California. It doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know. Just land there, go up, take the Hollywood sign, build a fort, and you're good. No? Apparently, uh, where, where there's a will, there's a way. Despite uh, lack of numbers, lack of resources and materials, and uh, every American having, uh, I think Yamamoto said, behind every patch of grass would be an American with a gun. So it would not be an easy <laughs> occupation. Wow. Uh, here's a an interesting question. I, I I thought this one, this one will trip out some people. I love how he says all these questions are interesting, but he just knows their hearts. This is how you sell it. This is how you sell oh it. Oh my god! So, who were the main participants of the nations involved in the Asia Pacific War? Do you also know any of the smaller ones? Oh boy. Okay, so Asia Pacific War. I mean, I gotta go China, Japan, U.S. Ah. Uh, do remember some talks we had about like Korea, the Philippines? Uh... Um, yeah, you can put that under the category of smaller. Yeah, I know there was. See, that's the thing is I'm trying to leave those two out of it. I guess you could say Russia in a sense. Absolutely. Um. 
trying to think. Is it egotistical to say Canada did something? I mean... Canada was one of the first countries that did something, actually. A lot of people wouldn't know that. Yeah, but did something that mattered or just showed up with blankets and fucking horribly, hot pockets? Horribly put into a bad situation, which saw suffering, massacres, uh, and uh, Canadian prisoners of war. Yeah, hang on, you said small ones. And I mean, when I say small I mean, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from just general World War II countries, too. I'm trying to think outside the box, but, you know, I already said the Philippines... Who else? Just because there's so much money involved? The Dutch, maybe? Yeah. That's one. I mean, they it had to be them, but who else would it have been? Can, can you help me out, guys? Is there anything? Uh, the, there's got to be an uh, ask the audience here somewhere. You know, in a retrospect, I could have totally done this live. I already, I have everything set up for this. I just realized oh now it would have been. Fun. Yeah, that, that that's may, great. If, if people like this, if I, I mean, because obviously my patrons is much smaller right now. We're, we're small numbers, but if I put this out on the main shop, people really like this kind of stuff. We can do this live, like yeah. Q and A. Let's do a weekly live called "Ask the Dumbass About History." Yeah, where Craig doesn't have to answer questions for once. That's this has been nice. Like, uh, I always get bombarded. Hang on, I want to try and get one more small one because I have a feeling there's a niche one that I know in the back of my brain somewhere that we've discussed. Um, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Again, I'm trying to stay away from World War Two, so I'm not mentioning like Germany, France, uh, the UK, all Italy, all that stuff. You know, an argument. they had an impact, but it's but it's yeah. not. That's not what I'm looking for. Uh, I will note you're missing one of the main participants, if not three i mean there's a one big participant missing shit i'm trying to remember see what i said guys about me not doing my homework after all the episodes we've done i'm missing a main participant and again we're not talking about germany or freaking italy here we're talking about not france not the uk not the uk yeah, but I said I was trying to stay away from World War II uh, oh, the main players. I mean, I know they were involved, but oh, they were I was trying to think of the more niche picks. So, yeah, obviously the UK is involved, but my other niche pick, I'm going to go with Ivory Coast. Just because they're in the way. <laughs> Jesus. Sure, you had the Ivory Coast. I mean, uh, this is one of those questions where you can actually just... Pick a country in the globe. It, it, well, it is in a sense. I mean, World War II affected the entire globe, with the exception of maybe Antarctica. So, if you were to ask anybody uh, to make a video game to put the main participants, like you said, China, Japan, United States, Great Britain, a lot of people will put Australia as a close second there, beside uh, Great Britain. Uh, there's subgroups. So the smaller ones. So Japan, you had mentioned Korea, which is interesting because Korea was actually occupied by Japan, but technically they were under their their hold. Uh, Thailand was actually the only other country officially allied to the Japanese. I was thinking about Thailand, but I wasn't. I, I remember we did an episode on them and I couldn't remember which side of the coin they fell on. And you mentioned Canada. Uh, Canada had a very big role at the very beginning because uh, we were unfortunately in Hong Kong at the beginning of the war so we took the brunt of the invasion right at the beginning same time as Pearl Harbor 
And uh, halfway through the war, we had a very unfortunate mission in the Aleutian Islands where it was an American and Canadian uh, group of units that were attacking an island called Kiska. Uh, the Japanese had to evacuate Kiska, but they didn't know that. The Canadians and Americans went on the island and found only booby traps and were shooting wildly and there was friendly fire incidents and it's kind of an embarrassing moment. But uh, so basically yeah. we just walked into a giant home alone scenario. Exactly. Actually, it's a myth for the audience. Uh, it's actually a myth. A lot of people believe the Americans, Canadians uh, shot each other. That actually is not true. It was just Canadians shooting Canadians and Americans shooting Americans. <laughs> and it was booby traps that did most of it. So the Japanese had left a lot of booby traps. Uh, if Japan had not surrendered too early, uh, Canada was going to be part of the invasion of the home islands. Really? Yeah, we were going to be part of a brand new army that was kind of, it's called the Commonwealth Army. Never happened, never was formed, but it would have been us, uh, the British, Anzacs, you got the New Zealanders, you got the Australians. Uh, and they wanted Indians to be part of it, but a very racist General Douglas MacArthur said no Indians at the last minute. Yeah. The, the, I swear, and I was just going to make a joke about how, I don't know how canoes could be useful in that war. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't think canoes would be too good. In the... I, uh, that, 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 by the way, that was a crack at the Canadian naval forces, not at yeah. anything else, but, uh, I mean, in, in, in the Pacific, Canada certainly didn't have a naval force. In the Atlantic, we were actually one of the, we did the lion's share of moving with transports. Canada was the industrial might of the UK during World War II. We had to build everything for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I remember you saying while the US forces were, occupied elsewhere we were kind of a big part of defending the north american soil during that time were we not uh we had to defend the western coast because there was the idea bc might get attacked there was a single time see uh, i'm not the only one yeah, there was a single time uh, we were quote attacked it was a japanese submarine who tried to shoot a lighthouse uh 35 times or so and missed it was enough to scare the current prime minister into getting some defenses but uh, that was about it it's kind of embarrassing. How do you miss a lighthouse that doesn't move 35 times? Uh, if I remember correctly, the gunner on top of the submarine, the submarine was just bobbing up and down like this, and he just couldn't shoot. Yeah. Actually, I guess that coming from a guy who missed a Blitzcrank hook 47 times in one video. Oh God, imagine I, imagine I if any of you play video games, especially League of Legends, there's a video out there somewhere made by... Craig himself. Oh my, I don't want people to find that old channel. That's, uh, that shows my talent in any of these games. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, my aim's not much better. I made a, a, a reel of just him missing Blitzcrank hooks. It was the chef's kiss. It was good. I still hate that video. Uh, the next question <laughs> is going to be the hardest out of the bunch, I think. Oh, balls. I, I, I got, this means I got to open a fresh beer because. Yeah, pick it up. Alright, let's hear it. Can you summarize what exactly happened during the Asia-Pacific War? Okay. So, Japan allies itself with Germany, which basically means open season. Uh, Battle of Midway. Okay. Pearl Harbor. I guess it could have gone a different order, but yeah. Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Done. I mean, yeah. I, if you said Pearl Harbor, Midway, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, I would say that's like pretty much every American you'd ask on the street. 
pretty much I'd be the answer. I guarantee you, as 90% of Americans, they don't know what the Battle of Midway is. Uh, Gen Z's? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen... Not, yeah, I'm not talking not... about I'm not talking about Americans who were there, obviously. Yeah, no, if I ask, like, a family, oh, like, why are you asking me this? No, I mean, uh, history is very lost on uh, the youth. Uh, it's incredible when you see, and I, I, we keep, we're Canadian, if the audience hasn't recognized that yet. Uh, I've seen so many videos talking about this as an issue in the United States. The youth don't know the founding of their country and stuff like that. It's, it's actually kind of sad. because Yeah, because I definitely know the founding of Canada. <laughs> I mean, it's, Canada's, we... we you can be on a on a belt curve. Canada, the founding of Canada is a little boring compared to the founding. Yeah, it's a, United States it's a has belt much curve. Ass. First of all, see see <laughs> belt see curve. Oh, I just said belt curve. <laughs> now see people. This is where oh. I take over from my bet. Okay. My good friend over here. Everyone who says I mispronounce stuff and I say all sorts of dumb things like uh, what was it this like week? Like a belt curve. Yes. This week I put out another episode for the patrons where I said something occurred in 1973 instead of 1937. Because I am dyslexic also on top of it. Yeah, dyslexic is one thing. Going from bell curve to belt curve. <laughs> that's like people who say duck tape. Oh my god. Y you say duck tape, don't you? Duck tape? Yes. No, it's duct tape. I'm Holy shit, he got one right. Ugh. Next question. Yeah, but hang on. You didn't, uh, oh, you you didn't tell me the right answer. Give, well, no, you don't have to go all the way, but give me the crib notes here. Uh, so, like, let's say you're asked, God, do this in like four sentences, five sentences. Um, Japan invades Manchuria, leads to Japan getting bold, invades the rest of China, gets stuck, wages war on the West as a means to get resources to continue its war in China. Yeah. Pearl Harbor. By the way, interesting strategy. You can't afford your current war, start another war. Makes a lot of sense. You'd be surprised how many times in history that happens. Because when you're a president or somebody or you know somebody in charge of a country and you're in trouble, what do you usually do? Go to war. Usually that helps your cause. <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah, but you'd think go to war with the country that gives you the money first, win that, and then go to war with the other one. Mind you, the United States of America was doing everything it could to make Japan go to war with them. There, there, was, the, there was some shadowy games. But they go to war with the West. Pearl Harbor, as you mentioned, this led to uh, the Battle of Midway. It was a very big battle for them. Uh, battle of Guadalcanal, which was, that was the actual turning point of the war. Japan was then on the defensive because they were the big boys until then. But then it was just a gradual process of island-hopping warfare and losing in the China War, particularly for the Japanese. They were getting creamed by the end of it. Until the home islands were on the verge of being invaded. The United States dropped nukes on them. The Russians invaded Manchuria, and Japan had to negotiate unconditionally. Well, I was just going to say, again, from our previous videos, the Russians kind of helping out is a big part of why they lost in China and on the mainland, is it not? The Russians invading at the very last minute was arguably 90% of the reason why they surrendered. People, especially people in America, don't like to be, to be told this, but... Uh, yeah, it's course. very ambiguous as to why the nukes were dropped. I would argue the two nuclear bombs dropped in Japan were important, not for the surrender of Japan, but important to send a message to the Soviets later. <laughs> but yeah, Japan had been trying to broker a peace deal uh, the, in the last year of the war, and they were looking at Moscow because they assumed, because they were not at war with the USSR, they had a pact, a neutrality pact the whole time. 
they assumed that uh, eventually Moscow would give them pretty decent peace terms. They had one big uh, demand. They didn't want their emperor taken down. Whenever they sent peace terms to the United States, the United States was very ambiguous as to what they would do with the emperor. Like, was he going to be put up for war crimes? Was there going to be a trial? Would he? Would the emperor be executed? They had no idea. But when, during the exact same time, we're talking about a span of three days, two nuclear bombs are dropped on them, and their greatest prize in possession, Manchuria, and all of their military were basically trampled unanimously upon, uh, like in a week's time. Like the, the USSR, there was no fight. They were destroyed. Uh, there, it looked like the USSR was going to invade the home islands as well, probably uh, from Hokkaido and the Sakhalin and stuff. Uh, the Japanese, they had to toss the towel. And uh, because they feared communism more than the United States, they ended up just uh, unconditionally surrendering to the United States. And there was a lot of ambiguity as to why they surrendered for many, many years, because the Constitution of Japan was written by the United States. And it was all done specifically to hide information. Mm. And uh, Americans and Canadians were taught this in high school. The more there's a question of morality when it comes to the two atomic bombs dropping, because you would like to say it saved more lives than it killed, and you absolutely you can still argue to that that there's nothing disproving that to what I said with uh, Russia coming in and everything, but it's just for what reasons? Um, the bombs made the USSR flinch because the USSR was taking over all of Southeast Asia. They stopped uh, at a half point in Korea. They could have gone into the home islands of Japan if they, I guess, had a navy or anything. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, the nukes did something in all of this, but uh, despite what people were told for many, many years, the nuclear bombs were not the primary reason why Japan surrendered. And maybe weren't just aimed to make Japan surrender, but were made to slow other people down. Absolutely. Actually, the second nuclear bomb was they selected an area specifically as a test. They wanted to see, because it was a different geographical location than uh, the first one, they wanted to know how a nuclear bomb would hit kind of a mountainous region. And there's all sorts of weird reasons why they hit Nagasaki. And it, it, it gets bizarre when you go down that rabbit hole, but I won't. Oh, here is an interesting question that I, I did a whole episode on with uh, our other friend Ian. Why, okay, do you, yeah. why do you think World War II in Europe is more popular than the Pacific War? In Europe. Yeah, so whenever we talk about World War II, we consider there's two theaters. There's the Pacific, and then there's Europe. So why is World War II in Europe more popular than it? You're just talking historically spoken about and... Anything. Taught uh, and... You can bring this into movies, uh, literature, anything. Yeah. <sighs> Well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that... See, the tricky part about this is you're saying because from Europe. From a North American standpoint, that's a very easy question to answer. Because from a North American standpoint, Germany was painted as the face of all evil. This is not my opinion. This is not the opinion of anybody who has a brain, as far as I'm concerned. But that was the idea. Japan was an ally, but they weren't, you know, they were the sidekick. They were the, they were the star scream to Megatron. They were, they were there, but they weren't the star scream to Megatron. I, I knew. <laughs> That's good. 
I knew you'd like that reference, which is why I put it in. But Germany was painted as the face of all evil, which is why World War II was more about the defeat to Germany, even though the atomic bombs had a big, big part of that. You know, that was everybody grouping together and pushing back this great enemy, which was Germany as far as World War II. That's from a North American standpoint and maybe arguably from a French standpoint because France was a big area of back and forth throughout World War II, one of the biggest as far as I'm concerned. So from a North American standpoint, that's why I see it's more popular because we're not defeating the sidekick Japan. I'm saying this with air quotes for anybody listening uh, on air, is that this is when the, the final boss, the, the, the big bad guy went down. As far as from a European standpoint, that's a very hard question to answer, and I'm not sure I have the answer for it. Well, from a European standpoint, they're not really involved. I mean, Britain's involved. The Netherlands, first year of the war, involved. But after that, they really don't have much to do. France, involved right at the beginning, because all of their assets are taken from them. And then at the end, they scramble to try and come back into it. But honestly, uh... There's hundreds of different answers. I always like this. The Pacific War has been described as an ugly war. It was much more uncomfortable to talk about. Good and evil, very different question when you're looking. Like you mentioned, Germany, the obvious bad guy. We're talking about Nazis. And we're talking even before they found the concentration camps. They had no idea what was actually going on until the end of the war. But the Germans were clear bad guys. But when we talk about the Japanese... They were going to war with mostly America at the uh, the end half of it, and it was kind of a race war. If There's a lot of racism involved in it. It's a very awkward thing to talk about. It's very uncomfortable, especially after the war, to talk about. So, Yeah, what? but if you're saying World War II is, doesn't involve race, I mean... No, but you have clear heroic moments. You have these, you know... No one has real any sympathy for the Nazis, but uh, when it comes to the Pacific War, it's a little different. It's a little murkier, and... The actions of both sides are bad. So, and I know the American audience might not like to hear this, but the Americans performed some atrocities as well. But, and, and the Japanese, who are, Japanese are probably actually the, the number one winners of performing atrocities in World War II in general. But uh, it, it was ugly. And um, when it was all over, there was a lot more books on the war in Europe than there was in the Pacific for a while. And when you look at it today, there are movies, but usually it's... Uh, Hit or miss, but it's usually naval battles, maybe some islands and that, but uh, yeah. It, but it is, uh, it's relevant to say because, uh, as I had said to Ian once upon a time, it's true. To this day, Europe, the war in Europe is definitely more popular. And uh, what we came up with as the number one answer when we thought about it was history is Eurocentric. It turns out, especially on YouTube, uh, people from Europe like history more than people from North America. Especially uh, when you look well, at YouTube. smarter. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, they weren't at most European countries had nothing to do with the Pacific War so why would they care hmm. that's just it from what we could gather uh, oh this is going to be fun a lot of people argue Japan never had a chance of victory during the Asia Pacific War why would you think so so one you're asking me if I agree with that and two you're asking me yeah. why So Japan never had a chance. I mean, 
apart from the obvious answer of that they're outmanned and outgunned, which is what we've discussed the whole time, I think it's just a factor of even if Japan started to push back the United States by whatever means in the Pacific, then they would have been met with the rest of the Allied forces. There would have been more support from Great Britain. There would have been support from you name it. I don't care. France would have sent the boat. Canada would have sent the kayak, like I said. Uh, it, it, yeah, I think it would have been just too much. Uh, it would have been too much support from the Allied forces. And then, tailing off to the whole point of Japan poking the Russian bear. If Japan was met with more Allied forces and had to force more in the Pacific, then I think Russia would have seen a freebie and maybe stormed either the main Japanese land or Manchuria, or they would have taken everything. Yeah, pretty Japan much. would have been wiped off the face of existence. Yep. Uh, like you said at the beginning, just a matter of resources. Japan's production it was... Uh, it, yeah, but already their production against the U.S. is not great. Oh, just in, 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 in pure numbers. Yeah. But like I said, it's the point of even if strategically they were geniuses and they managed to hold back the U.S. and even the rest of the Allied forces in the Pacific, now they've woken up Russia. Yeah. And they're, they're, there's no way they can win again. As a matter of fact, I would argue that against USA and Russia alone combined, nobody could have won in that era. Mm, probably, yeah. Uh, the Japanese. This is coming from a non-historian, but again, I'm. But yeah, it's like you, you had already said at the beginning. Uh, from a just a, just looking at the resources alone, you're talking about a country that had to go to war to try and seize resources. It just takes the opponent to stop them from getting those resources to defeat them, which they did. Uh, not. About the halfway point. They start to get into New Guinea and they get to the Dutch East Indies eventually in 44 and stuff. But uh, Japan, you know, they just, they were grinded down. And uh, they yeah. they never really had a chance. But again, not just talking about the resources, but even if they manage that. You know, you, for anyone who's played either a, a risk type of game yeah. or Axis and Allies or something like that. It's one thing to win a battle and take territory. But if you spread yourself too thin, which they did, you're eventually going to get run over. Yeah. So again, even if they win in the Pacific, they have nothing left to defend the mainland. Yeah. Um, just... And then they just get run over by Russia, China, China even. I mean, China was fractured and completely broken at that point, which we've discussed at length. Mm -hmm. But even China could have started to rally if they sensed Japan to be that weak, and Japan kind of took their foot off the tiger's neck you know what i mean yeah um just to give us some pure numbers uh so beginning of the war with the united states 1941 japan currently has 51 divisions for their uh, army 35 of which are stuck in china and they're not leaving and then they have other divisions in manchuria they have basically like 11 divisions that can actually participate in the pacific at the beginning yep it, it was uh <laughs> So, not looking good from the very And this beginning. is not a country with a population of uh, 400 million either. No, no. Big population. Relative to its size, pretty big population. Little colonials. You know, they have... Do you know how many they were roughly around the 40s? Oh, gosh, yeah. Ballpark. Wrigley Field. I don't care. I, 
30 million. I'm not sure. <laughs> Actually, I'm really not sure. 30 million. I mean, that's pretty much the same as Canada is now, but still. I was like, that's not, uh, Canada has never had a population still to the state. No, no, but I'm saying that's, that's a decent amount of people, but yeah. Oh, here's a... What oh. ended the Asia-Pacific War? I mean, we kind of talked about so many things oh, that answered these questions, but boy. yeah. Um, Panda Express. Panda Express is Chinese cuisine, you know that, right? I don't know. Um, we don't even have that in Canada. I've only, I'm only aware of that because I've been to the States. I mean, no. Um, well, again, it's a very broad definition of what ended. Uh, did, did the start of World War II end it? Did, uh, was the start of World War II it? Was it the bombs? Was it Midway? Was it, I mean... Well, you no. can't answer that question in a sense. It's ambiguous. It's like saying, when did it start? You cannot answer that question with a concrete answer. No, you know, but as we were talking about, you can say the combination of the Soviet Union completely destroying Manchuria, walking into Southeast Asia, and the nuclear bombs going off. Yes, yeah, coming down to Japan's surrender. I mean, yeah. fine, but the it, if you use that, then you're basically saying the Pacific War is World War II. Which, do you want to make a distinction, or do you not want to make a distinction? It is part of World War II, for sure. It is part of, but is it, or is it not? Because in that sense, you don't call it the Pacific War, you call it the Pacific Conflict. Yeah, like... You call it the Pacific uh, yeah. Disagreement. Pacific the disagreement. Pacific Fisticuffs, I mean... Uh, the Pacific Disagreement between China and Japan. You know, again, you're getting into ambiguous terms and getting into... Uh, Oh, you know what? This actually, this feeds into our discussion a bit. The next question I had was, which two countries in World War II suffered the most deaths, militarily and civilian alike? Just most deaths. See, the worst part is I know this is a trick question. No, no I don't know. No, I don't think so. Which countries suffered two. the most deaths in World the War II? The two countries had the most. Because it's it's honestly it's ex you look at the list and there's two countries that are everybody else is kind of it's dramatic and we're not talking with respect to population we're talking sheer numbers. Just how many like we're combining like deaths for for soldiers and civilians because the sad fact about World War Two it's a lot of civilian deaths. Yeah, well, it caused starvation, poverty, all kinds of the works people losing homes. I get that. But again, are we talking as a percentage of population or are we talking straight no, numbers? No, straight numbers. <sighs> I still feel like this is a trick question. Okay, I mean, I'm going to say Japan. No. And he's shaking his head. China. That's one. Okay. That, that that was the one I was really thinking of, but Japan seemed like the... And we're talking World point. War Two, eh? Yeah, yeah. Global War, okay, okay. Yeah. World War Two, globally, suffered the most deaths. China, China is number two. China is number two. So somebody had more than China. I'm actually surprised you don't know. We do. Well, it's not. I don't know. It's. Uh, you might the know. UK. Oh, oh my God, no. 
Well, so I'm gonna grab. Is it, is is it the U.S.? No. Is it Germany? Uh, is it France? Germany's actually technically number three, I'd say, but no, it's not France. No, no, France did not lose. Actually, so it has to be Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. By a long shot, too. So Russia. <laughs> And I mean, I can't see even... Russia's the one that surprises me in there just because they came kind of so late to the party. Well, not in World War Two. I mean, they well late to the party. They came halfway through the. Mm. Yeah, halfway late through. to the party. That's the only reason why I discounted them. But uh, just to give the audience an idea, and I can't give you the actual numbers because they're argued to this day, but uh, Russia's the. Uh, Everyone knows is the top contender. Uh, people would be surprised to find out that some estimates put China pretty close to Russia when it comes to it. So China, you're looking at around something in the ballpark of 20 million. Yeah. Russia, you're looking at 25 to 30, maybe. Lot, there's bigger numbers, there's smaller numbers out there. I'm just kind of giving the average. And, you know, anyone will be screaming at the screen, oh, it's actually this number. Blah, blah. And this isn't counting um, after the war effects because famine doesn't go away. Famine actually lingers for quite a while, and the Russians had it really bad. And the Chinese, of course. That makes the most sense, because it, in my mind, it had to be a country that was on the mainland, yeah. just because that's where the war is happening. Yeah. You can't say the U.S. sailed enough people over to have the most deaths out of anybody. Yeah, It wouldn't make any sense. The only reason I thought Japan is because they were fighting several conflicts simultaneously whereas you go against china whereas you go the pacific war then you go a conflict with russia then they're fighting for all these islands they they, they were like fighting on every front in a sense oh they're even though they're not a mainland country yeah no their numbers actually comparable to their size it's pretty big like, so, the only reason i mean i didn't say france just because their population's too small even though it was one of the most contested territories in world war ii i would it, say they they lost some i think they lost something in the ballpark of five hundred thousand, if i'm not mistaken but but again no population and a small ish territory when you compare it to china and russia and things like that well i mean their population's not china for for, for that matter but, uh, but france but, had a decent sized population they were depopulated by world war one pretty heavily so there, there was a huge depopulation during world war one france was bled dry during world war one yeah. yeah but the only other reason i said china is that almost every conflict we've discussed moving from the opium wars all the way sino-japanese war all the way to world war one two whatever you want to call it is that china was kind of outmatched in terms of munitions in every single conflict yes they were they were horribly behind in technology and guns, weaponry, all this stuff. And not to mention, again, fractured government. They, if they weren't fighting other people, they were fighting each other. So, and we talked about the impact that had on China in terms of like famine, poverty, things like that. So I was pretty sure they were high on the list. Oh, yes. They, uh, they depending on what you consider, because a lot of people don't like to consider... Uh, secondary things like you can say civilian deaths but then people like to include like after the war what did the famines do and that's where china kind of really shines so that number gets a lot bigger as you extend those uh subgenres in that and uh okay so i got about okay, well, i'm gonna claim that i got china right and the other well whatever but uh here's an extremely broad question how my niches <laughs> yeah this isn't going on youtube <laughs> how did you how did the asia pacific war change the world 
as broad as you can get. How did the Asia-Pacific War change the world? Well, I'm going to start with the fact that people realized the military importance of all the small islands in the Pacific. Sure. Whereas previously they may have been discounted. Today, China is expanding on some of those same islands. Yeah. So that's a big one, I'm going to say. Both for military applications, both for financial trade routes, all those stuff. Again, maybe doesn't have as much of an application in the modern world where airplanes are a thing. But in a time where, I don't know what, 95% of everything was moved by sea? Yeah. uh, Definitely a big, big thing, noticing the importance of those islands and those trade routes. Uh, I think a big importance in identifying Japan as a superpower, which they may not have been recognized as prior. They they were. They were uh, of the list of the great powers. They were. They actually earned this. They were on the list, but they were still considered the little brother of China. No, no, no. China was not considered a power, actually. Japan was. Japan. Yet Japan took so long to outshine China during these conflicts. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, the history so. between the two countries was little brother Japan overthrowing big brother. Ironically, during World War II, uh, the leader of China was fighting to get recognition as a great power again uh, from the United States, particularly. And the United States did eventually, eventually champion their cause. But yeah, uh, Japan had won the legal, you'll call it, uh, title of great power during World War One, But there was a key component to that. They were called, and I'm not making this up, a great power, but racially unequal. And that's a major Can't reason. surprised by that, but... Yeah, it was a major reason they went to war <laughs> during World War Two. It was because of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out Japan didn't like that and left the... League of Nations. Wow. I wonder why. <laughs> okay, and if I had to think of one more point as to how it changed the world. You know what? Again, I'm trying to like differentiate this from World War II as my thing, because I'm trying to keep it as its own entity. I made this question a two-parter because I thought <clears throat> it would help, because it's too broad of a question. How did it change things for Japan, China, and the United States? Those three countries. How did their worlds change? I would say they stopped letting their kids play together at the park. Definitely. Well, uh, well yeah, no. For, for a while, even the, the Americans and Japanese were not in great terms for quite a few years. But yeah. I mean, this is probably an irrelevant point almost, but I think it gave people more of an idea of how scary Russia was. Absolutely. Like, I think Russia was... They weren't a sleeper, but they were basically just not bothering too many people at that time. And when they finally got, you know, kind of like Smaug and my... sitting on the treasure there, wasn't really doing much, just kind of there. Sure. And when people woke it up, they were like, oh shit... Yeah, I guess in a lot of ways. Yeah, of course, because you know, Russia, you know, they bled themselves dry, but they were being fed by a country, well, mostly the United States, and then Great Britain were giving them the material support they needed to fight the Germans. When you give a nation like this so much unbelievable military support and the war ends, it's not like you get it back. So, 
the Russians had become, like you said, like Smaug. They were a dragon now. Yeah. How it affected the world. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I'm it. not sure what else. Uh, I know I'm missing something major, but oh, there's anything. You, you, this goes into anything. It, it changed everything about the world. For example, you brought up Russia immediately because it's the Cold War after World War Two. It's what we think of as the world after World War Two, and the war with Japan had actually brought about the ideas of what the Cold War was. We had nuclear weapons for the first time. How do nuclear weapons get to their destination with these big bombers before we had missiles? You know, everything kind of originated with the end half of the war against Japan, and it evolved into this new Cold War where Japan was now switched on the Allied side against the Soviet Union. So the Americans now were occupying Japan as a means to fight the Soviets, so it it's interesting, but for the Chinese, the Chinese immediately descend into a civil war where the communists win. So now the Chinese are with, kind of with the USSR. Yes, they're not exactly a perfect relationship or anything, but it's an interesting new world and things have changed dramatically because our former allies, if you're thinking as the United States, were the Chinese. Now they're not your ally. Now it's the Japanese who are your enemy. It's a pretty interesting outcome. Yeah. And let's finish this off with, uh, here I got, hmm. it's, uh, this one was a, oh, we'll see how you do, okay? Oh, fuck. I didn't know if I wanted to put this one in, because it's, oh, it's more, oh <laughs> boy. Can you name any famous figures of the Pacific War? Yamamoto. Okay, sure. Uh, who is Yamamoto? Wasn't he the U.S. president at the time? Absolutely. No, he was the main Japanese general in charge of the Navy? I mean, admirals are in charge of naval things, so he's not a general, he's an admiral. Yeah. Okay, sorry. This is coming from a guy that knows nothing about military ranks. I apologize for using the wrong term, but he was in charge of the Japanese Navy. Okay, I got something right. You guys got it recorded. Um... And mind you, people, again, we're Canadians because, like, a lot of Americans are still taught about their great admirals and generals in this war. So, you know, you have a lot of leeway on this. Yeah, but there's another main U.S. admiral that we talked about at length during an episode. Okay. And I'm blanking on his freaking name. Uh, hang on. This wasn't Colonel Custard, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, that was interesting. <laughs> Colonel Custer, uh, Colonel Custer, Colonel, Colonel Sanders. Colonel, Sanders. Colonel, I was just gonna Colonel say Sanders. Colonel Sanders. Um. Okay, you know what? Scrap that question. Hang on. Just give me ten seconds. I might get it. There's one in the back of my brain, but it's like. You could have said Captain America, I guess. Steve Rogers. By that logic, Wolverine helped at least one person during the bomb hey, drops Wolverine, too. But... Well, Wolverine was in uh, the D-Day landings, if I remember. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, I know the name of one U.S. military figure, but I'm completely blanking on it. So Probably, I'd guess, General Douglas MacArthur. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Well, yeah. Sorry to any U.S. fans, I apologize. That's why, like that, I said, this I, is not my phone. I'm thing. reading from my phone, by the way, because I'm so professional. With this to be thing. fair, I don't know any Canadian generals either, or 
Oh, for the Pacific War, Louis Riel. No, yeah, Louis Riel came back from the ground <clears throat> to, to fight. It's about all I got. On the side of the Japanese, of course, <laughs> he would. Uh, here's one last question I, uh, I didn't get to ask. I can finish this off. After the Pacific War had finished, there was a guy who had come up. I can't remember at what he was doing. He was talking to some high-ranking general, and he asked him, I think this was 10 years after, so this is like mid-50s. He's like, we have a lot of books about the war in Europe. We don't have that much literature on the Pacific War, because at the time, they, they didn't. And he asked, John, why is that? And the general said, I forget who the general was, but he said, the Pacific War is an ugly war. Why do you think he... Why would we consider it an ugly war? So this is very similar to the question you asked before about why in Europe is World yes. War II more talked about than the Pacific War. Why is it an ugly war? And you can think of it from an American perspective. Because the Japanese barely talked about it after. And they, to this day, almost do not acknowledge it. Almost do not acknowledge it. So you're referring to a singular event or a singular thing. You're not well, it's just the war. I mean, in general, for them. I mean, you said it was an uglier war in terms of the atrocities committed during the Pacific War, but I feel like it's a little bit more than that. I say it's fifty percent is the atrocities. See, again, I'm trying to think of it in terms of the Pacific War itself and not things that caused the Pacific War, so I'm sort of leaving China out of it. In, oh, the, sense of, in the sense of Japanese attacking a fractured China, which is a little bit not dirty, but, you know, China was kind of falling apart in terms of politically. And what did Japan think of China, you think? Oh, for the whole time, Japan. Okay, now you're asking me for an opinion that's going to get me in trouble over the interwebs, but... No, no, that, that's what I'm getting at, though, actually. a little Japan bit. probably had some sort of a superiority complex where they thought China was always the inferior people. Absolutely. But just because they had more numbers, they couldn't overthrow them mm -hmm. immediately or as easily as they had hoped to, which is part of what cost them the Pacific War. Because they figured China was going to be an easy victory and they just steamroll over it and control everything. Kick down the rotting door, as Hitler once said, yeah. Yeah. So Japan probably thought of China as the inferior people in Asia. Mm -hmm. How does that work on the American side? Yeah, you see, that's what I'm trying to put together and you're not... I mean, it has to be more than just a correlation between them and the Germans... No, but in the sense of you know trying to eradicate the lesser peoples, but it 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 fits into it because when you you want to write a book, you want to make a movie. Let's say you're in the fifties. Are you going to choose to do a movie about the heroic Battle of the Bulge, the Americans fighting to liberate these countries under Nazi boots, or this war? on a Pacific island no one's ever heard of against this enemy who, let's be honest, given the times, you thought was racially not on equal status to you. You can see propaganda that showcases the Japanese as monkeys, for example. 
Okay, so in essence, your thinking is that we're saving white people and we're not saving lesser people. Uh, yeah, I guess that's part of it. it. It's more that. By the way, I'm not saying that's his opinion. I'm just no, asking no. as to what <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm. We're I'm, going. I'm asking it. what the argument is there. It's basically a question of the wartime propaganda that was occurring in Europe depicts you're fighting like the Nazis aren't even people. They're robots. You're talking about the leadership. It's not the Germans. It's Hitler. It's Goring. It's the ideology of the Nazis. Let alone, they barely talk about Italy. If they do talk about Italy, it's the same thing. It's the Dutch, it's, you know, it's Mussolini, the dictator. When it comes to the Japanese, it's, yeah, sure, they kind of poke at the emperor or the prime minister, Hideki Tojo, but no, the propaganda was literally against the Japanese people. It depicted them as, like, rats or, or monkeys and stuff. And it's this unfortunate thing where it, it really was a race war in a lot of ways. And after everything was said and done we're coming into an age of like the civil rights, you know, in the United States, there's awkward questions like the participation of African-Americans in the military of the United States. And they're going here doing all of these things that are rather racist against the Japanese. <laughs> Although there was racism towards the Chinese as well. And it's very embarrassing uh, for post world war two United States. So there's obvious reasons just from that standpoint alone that they don't want to talk about it as much. And it took a while for them to write more extensively about it. But uh, it's really awkward. There's actually a very famous book that came out. Um, it's pretty modern. It's called uh, "It's Power and Race" by last name Dower. He wrote it. It's an excellent book on that. Just looks at this from a racial point of view. But you have fifty percent of this war is atrocious. Uh, it's some of the most disgusting warfare there is. The only things that you see that's similar to this in Europe is between the Russians and the Germans who are killing each other as if they're not, like, from the same species. Like, they are doing hor horrible things to each other on what we call the Eastern Front. For the Americans and the Japanese on the Pacific Islands, it is horrifying. They're cutting off body parts, you know, mutilating, doing atrocities. The Japanese are performing massive atrocities upon the Chinese. If you've ever heard the Rape of Nat King is a very famous incident uh, where they literally raped hundreds of you know women and did terrible things and uh the pacific war it's just it's more categorized by brutal stuff like this than when you look at like let's say when the allies do d-day and they start attacking on the western front i don't want to like belittle it but it's more like a war with the white gloves on okay we have adversaries who are taking prisoners who are respecting the geneva convention some not always somewhat the war of the pacific there was no geneva convention the japanese used biological warfare on the chinese it was really bad and that's a large reason why the pacific war it was simply an ugly war and it's very uncomfortable uh, to give you another idea when they were looking at instances of post-traumatic stress disorder in, in uh, the soldiers in the united states overwhelmingly it was in the pacific uh, instead of europe so the guys that were coming back from europe were not seeing the levels of uh, that psychological damage as they were seeing in the pacific so again uh i think you know even comedians today who have like fathers who are in the vietnamese war they're like oh my dad doesn't want to talk about what he saw you're more likely to never talk about what you saw in the pacific rather than in europe so, yeah fair point now i do have a follow-up question for you and i don't want to delve too deep into this topic because it gets very dicey and that's not my intention with this but considering 
again, from our standpoint, the North American history of racism. Do you think World War II and having a lot of African Americans and different races, Italians, whoever it may be, fighting with the U.S. forces, do you think that helped the fight against racism in North America? Yes. Oh, big time. Especially considering that book you read. Uh... Yes, of course. Um, also, uh, something I didn't even acknowledge, uh, we had concentration camps for the Japanese in Canada, mm. and uh, the United States had identical concentration camps in California. So ours were in BC and theirs were in California. And we greatly mistreated the Japanese. Uh, famously in the United States, uh, George Takei from Star Trek was a survivor of the concentration camps. And for Canada... Was he? Yeah. Yeah, his family. You're talking Sulu original... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really? He was a small kid. And, uh, with him or like his grandparents? Oh, no, him. Yeah, yeah, he was really? a young kid. And uh, for us in Canada, David Suzuki was a concentration camp survivor. I mean, I'm calling it a constant internment camps is the technical term. It wasn't, uh, they weren't yeah, okay. being killed. They weren't being outright killed. Uh, although in California, um, they were run by a, for the, for the, even for the day, a very bitter racist. This guy really hated the Japanese and he did horrible things to them. In Canada, it was just kind of mistreatment. We stole their pro like Canadians stole their property. Uh, terrible things had happened. But uh, yeah, for the experience of like, you know, you have all these African-American soldiers fighting for the United States and then they come back home and they were treated kind of like with the same, you know, the same way that they had been treated before. And it brought into question civil rights. Like the war brought the whole idea of after seeing atrocities that were based off of, you know, going after someone's like, you know, the, the Jews, it's more of a, well, no, it's still a race thing. You can say it's an ethnicity. It, it's, yeah. It's both. It is religious and it's an ethnicity. And then with the Japanese and everything, it's the question of race and equality really did kind of reach a fever point after World War II. And uh, yeah, the experience of all these races fighting for a country like the United States, it's like, do we not deserve our fair share of the pie? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it did, in the end, better things <laughs> for a lot of the races. It didn't, took a while, mind you, but yeah. Because, you know, it's weird. I don't know why, but it popped into my head as soon as you said it. And for those who don't know, I'm, I'm far and away from an expert, but I'm a movie guy. And if I like a movie, I can damn near recite it line for line. You remember Remember the Titans with Denzel Washington? Yeah, yeah. So when they first brought the hippie kid to meet the team, mm. the quarterback, his dad was like an army general or something. And obviously this was one of the first times, again, a movie loosely based on historical facts, but obviously drummed up for cinematic effect. Yeah, of course. But his dad, who was a general, and he asked him something about playing with the African-Americans or whatever. And he said, well, the way I see it, if these boys can fight a war together, they can play football together. Yeah. Do you know, uh, it's totally random, but I, I listened to... But that, you know, that for some reason that came into mind where you say different races are fighting together. And Do you know how long they had segregation, especially in football? I remember I was watching a podcast with Shane Gillis, the comedian, and he was like talking, I can't remember what state it was. It was a college level football team. And like they didn't have, they didn't allow black players until like, I think it was the mid 70s. It's insanity. The United States, anyways, the United States had a rough go of it. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you and I, see, like you and I grew up together. I think we only played soccer together one year, and I was more of a baseball kid anyways. But the only segregation we faced in sports, or at least I Growing faced, up in the 90s, we didn't have segregation. Of course we did. I had crazy segregation in sports. It's called the kids who sucked and the kids who didn't. <laughs> yeah, of course. And yeah. I was definitely one of the kids who sucked. Like soccer, I was picking my nose, looking at daisies, staring at the sky. So that was the only segregation I faced in sports. But... Uh, no, but arguably, I would think, you know, going back to it, 
if you take the, the, the whole picture, did the Pacific War and World War II, if you encompass them too, did they help a lot for the no. racial issue in North America? I, maybe they did. I think absolutely. Again, um, talking broadly here, it's not like there weren't specific events that may have had a much bigger impact. But We're going to be closing this podcast up at some point soon, but I'll, I'll bring this up because this is a bit interesting. The racial attitudes towards the Japanese were comical at the offset of the war. So... Uh, and this is for Canadians as well as Americans. Uh, Canadian officers were told by their superiors, who have a lot of a lot of which were British, but this is also an epidemic in the Canadian military. Uh, for the boys in Hong Kong, uh, for example, get attacked by the Japanese. They're taught the Japanese have such poor eyesight that they can't fly their aircraft at night because their eyes are myopic. They were taught the Japanese suffer seasickness so they couldn't possibly travel to the island of hong kong from the mainland part so that they didn't have to worry about protecting certain sectors this actually happened and the canadian forces did not protect these sectors because of this because of a racial attitude which is hilarious mind you uh, i remember there was a literal doctor in the 30s who came up with the theory that all japanese newborns were carried on their mother's backs while they were picking rice out of the fields and because of the movement of going up and down, it shook their heads in such a way that their brains were deformed. And this led to like terrible eyesight and seasickness and stuff <laughs> so that they would never be good pilots. I really shouldn't laugh at this. It should be laughed at. It's incredible. The, the only thing I can think of, again, weird movie guy. You remember Borat? And he said, oh, Kazakhstan doctor proved the women's brain is the yeah. same as a squirrel. <laughs> the, it's exactly oh, like boy. So when, uh, for example, when they were talking about, uh, you know, just before Pearl Harbor, let's say, the, the Americans had this similar attitudes and they had similar doctors talking about this. Like the Japanese, uh, if they're going to attack, you know, they're, they're such poor flyers, uh, they wouldn't attack at certain times of day because of this eye problem. Right? Oh, boy. Okay. The Americans were taught that the Japanese couldn't see at night because of this eye problem, which is ironic because the Japanese were taught the opposite they were racially taught that americans were afraid of fighting in the dark so the japanese specialized in fighting at night which was really ironic given which both sides thought and they came into contact with each other at night mostly because of that and <laughs> god there's so many of these it's really it, it, it's comical but uh, high-ranking leadership in the militaries believe this particularly britain canada united states they had these attitudes that fed into it. And another one that was uh, fed into more so the Americans, because I don't think the British had this, because the British worked with the Japanese Navy prior to the war extensively, but the Americans believed that the Japanese only stole their technological like um, designs from other nations and that they couldn't design anything themselves. So the Americans, right on the cusp of Pearl Harbor, thought the Japanese couldn't possibly have any aircraft worth a while. Like, they were like... Everything was underdeveloped. And the Japanese, at the beginning of the war, had one of the greatest fighters of all time, of, of the war. And, well, <laughs> they Pearl Harbor kind of showcased that as an error. And, yeah, racial attitudes uh, really fed into the, the beginning. Those racial attitudes kind of fell apart. But uh, another interesting note is that because of the Japanese doing so well in the first year of the war, uh, the Australians, British, and uh, some of the American, well, it's, it's more the Australians and the British who were coming into contact with the Japanese. They began this kind of uh, mentality that the Japanese were superhumans. 
because the Japanese were just overwhelming them in places like Burma and stuff, and their night fighting techniques. Were so just... they go from inferior creatures who can't yeah. see at night and can't make Mar- their own yeah. planes to gods, to superhumans, and they use uh, the, that terminology as superhuman. I find they're always funny to this day. Holy crap. So this has been a weird podcast where we've, you know, crossed the line between talking about really sensitive issues that we should have never dwelled into. And uh, I hope the audience likes this. This is going to appear on the Patreon. So thank you again for all of you guys who are part of this. And please let me know what more you want to see from because I make episodes and podcasts dedicated to exactly what you want. You're really helping out this small channel. Uh, if you really like it, perhaps I'll put this on the uh, the main YouTube channel and we'll see the comments I get. <laughs> Sorry. I should apologize now. Yeah, so thank you, Justin. It's been a long time since you've been on. The, Thanks for uh, having me, guys. Hopefully I'll be back again soon. It's not my fault. Craig moved far away. but uh, And if you like Justin, put it in the comments. He'll come back. Yep, absolutely. All right. This has been the Pacific War Channel. Over now.